The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning, church. This morning's reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, the resurrection of Jesus stands unique in history. There's no other historical event quite like it. uh, Because there's nothing quite as polarizing as the purported resurrection of Jesus from the dead. There's any number of historical people and historical events that you can have any opinion about or no opinion about, and it doesn't really affect your life. You can think Alexander the Great was an awesome guy, like, he, hey, he was the great, he's awesome, or you might think he's terrible. You may not even know anything about him, but it doesn't really matter on your daily life. You may think that the moon landing was fake. I'm not going to ask for, for, for hands to raise. You may think the moon landing was fake. But whether you think it's fake or real, it doesn't really affect your everyday life. It doesn't affect who you are right now or where you're going with your life. But the resurrection of Jesus, if it is true, has incredibly far-reaching effects for all of us in all our life. Everybody, once you hear about the resurrection of Jesus, you have to come down somewhere on it. You have to either say, hey, that's real and true, and I believe that, and everything that comes along with that, or you say that's false and a hoax, and I don't want to believe that, I don't want any part of it, but you have to come down somewhere on it. And in this room, we fall in anywhere, any number of places on what we think about the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Some of you people are here right now, some of us are here, and and you're like, hey, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, Randy, uh, uh, I kind of doubt this whole thing. Some of you are here and you, you profess Christ. Like, you're a Christian and you're sitting there right now like, I really don't know where I fall on this thing. If I'm really honest with myself and the people around me, I really don't know where I fall on this. Some of you are just openly doubt. You're like, hey, I am not sure about any of this. I don't know what this means. I don't know where I stand on this. For some of you, the, the report of the resurrection of Jesus, it might disturb you. You might think, hey, 
I don't, like, that kind of makes me uncomfortable. You talking about, like, that Jesus suffered and that he died and the whole, like, the beatings and the crown and the, the nails through his hands and the raising again. Like, that just kind of disturbs me and bothers me. Some of you might be here and you're like, you know what, actually, this whole thing just kind of insults me. Because if you're asking me to believe that some peasant Jew was nailed to a cross and put into a borrowed tomb and raised again on the third day and is now seated at the right hand of the Father and the only way to God is through him, I'm kind of insulted that you would even ask me to believe that because it sounds like outlandish. It sounds like a fable. Some of you might be here and you're like, man, I'm really excited this morning because I believe. And some of you might be here and you're saying, hey, I know that I should be excited, but I'm just not. If I'm honest with myself, I don't, I don't feel what you feel I'm supposed to feel right now. But wherever you fall on that whole, on the whole gamut, what, what, because what we believe about whether Jesus was, is risen from the dead or not has far-reaching effects on our lives. Why? What does it really matter what does it really mean if Jesus is really resurrected? What does it really matter to me what I believe about it? What does it really matter to you what you believe about it? Well, we're going to look at the text this morning, Ephesians uh, 2, uh, 1 through 7, and, and we're going to see what this passage tells us about what the resurrection of Christ truly means. And we're going to see that if Jesus is truly resurrected, then it means, here's what it means, it means that you and I can have access to real, true life. If the resurrection of Jesus is true, that means that, that you and I can have access to true, really true life. Really true life. We're going to see that if Jesus was truly resurrected, it means three things. It means, first of all, that you were dead. And we were dead. It means we were loved. And it means we were raised, or can be raised and made truly alive. It first of all means that we were dead. If, Jesus is, if the resurrection of Jesus is true, it means that we are loved. And if the resurrection of Jesus is true, it means that we can be made truly alive. So the Apostle Paul writes in this passage about the resurrection of Jesus. But before he gets to that, Paul describes the problem that Jesus' death and resurrection came to fix. You see, there's, we all, like, let's just be honest, we all have to agree that there's a great problem in life. Isn't there? Now, we may all, like, we might have different opinions about what the problem is, but we all have to agree that there is a problem, a great problem with life. Something is broken, isn't it? Like, life never seems to actually kind of, like, work like it's supposed to work. Like every time it seems like things are going smooth in your life, doesn't something happen? You get a phone call, something like you stubbed your toe, like this, something happens like this is not the way it's supposed to be. It doesn't life, no matter how good a life that you might have it, no matter how wealthy and intelligent and good looking that some of you may be, for all of us, there is inherent in life, there's suffering, there's pain. We can't get away from it. We can't get away from it our, from ourselves. Don't you, like, when you're in a relationship and things are going good, don't you do something out of the blue that suddenly seems to, like, make it take a left turn? You're like, why did I do that? I don't even know. Like, that was so stupid. 
but we just can't seem to get out of our own way oftentimes, isn't it? There's some great problem with life, and we, we can't even quite figure out how to fix it, but we all have an opinion. We all have an opinion that something is missing, or if I get this, or if I do this, or if I achieve this, or if you stop doing this to me, or if I was not married to this person, I was married to this person, or if I could finally find somebody to date, or if I could have this much money in my bank account, or drive this car, or be in this church building, or whatever the X thing might be, that like you could like oh, suddenly like life would be good, life would be right, but it never gets right, does it? It never gets fully there. But we all have our own opinion and we all work our own angle. That's what you're doing in life. You are working your angle to try to get to what you think true, real life is. And you know what it kind of is like? Have you ever, like, I'm, I'm a football fan. I love, I love, I'm going to work it into the, the Easter sermon, Dale. I love the Clemson Tigers. And I cannot watch. I, he has risen, national championship. I don't know. But here's the thing. So, so here's the thing. I, I love the Clemson Tigers, and I cannot watch a game around other people. Because everybody, if you've if you ever been like in a, at a Super Bowl party and you have like, we had, we had a Super Bowl party this year at the Evans house and there were tons of people in there and, and it was fun, everybody's loud, but everybody has an opinion about what is going on. And, and they're, they're, everybody diagnoses what is wrong with this team and what this team did right. And there's 30 different diagnoses of what is actually going on in the game. If they hadn't traded that guy away, or they keep calling that same running play, if they would just call the pass to number 85, if they would just actually block somebody, like everybody's got an opinion about what is going wrong like the assistant coach like he's a bum like everybody's got an opinion a million opinions in a room of 30 people about what is wrong with this team and with this game and life is like that we all have an opinion about what is wrong we're all trying to diagnose what is this great problem with life and we're all trying to work our own angle to try to get it to work and we expend an immense amount of energy trying to fix the great problem of life because we desire to be truly alive we desire to be really, really alive and break through whatever it is that's holding me back, whatever is hurting me, whatever is causing pain, whatever I keep seem to can't get beyond in my life. I want to be truly alive, but it never seems to be to work. And we see it personally, and we see it as society, right? We are the most advanced, sophisticated, educated society that we have ever been, and yet we can't seem to get out of our own way, can we? We try every political system, every economic system. We try this technology, that technology. This is going to be the answer. That is going to be the answer. And nothing seems to be the answer. It just seems to make life more and more complex. But we never answer the problem. Paul tells us here that this great problem runs deeper than we actually want to believe. It runs deeper than any of us can get to. It runs to the, because it runs to the very core, the very heart of who we are. And this is a scary and a humbling truth that most of us don't want to face. <laughs> but if the resurrection of Jesus is really true, then what Paul is saying here is actually the real diagnosis of our problem. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul is saying, the Bible is saying, the truth of the resurrection is saying that our great problem isn't any of the things that we want to think it is. The problem, the great problem with humanity and the great problem with you and the great problem with me is that we are dead. You see, sin, which has been passed down from the very beginning, Adam and Eve in the garden, sin which we are born into, sin which we are infected with by nature, and sin which we live in by choice has killed the human race. Like, we're alive. We're living. We're breathing. We're walking. We're not, but yet we're walking around like the walking dead. We're not truly alive. And that's because mankind has been in rebellion from its creator since the very first humans rebelled. And that separated us from the one who we were made for and the one who we were made by. We are cut off from all life and love. And yet we remain living. What happened when that happened is we turned in on ourselves unhealthily. We were made to live for God. We were made to live under him, and yet whenever sin happened, we rebelled, we were separated from him, and all of a sudden, we turn in on ourselves, and we live for ourselves. And if we're honest with, our, with each other, like if we're just honest with yourself right now, like that doesn't equal a healthy life, is it? When you're just living selfishly for yourself, trying to make the people around you serve you, trying to make everything in life serve you and please you. It never works out very well. But yet we're turned off by nature and by choice, turned inward on ourselves, away from God. And Paul says because of that separation, because of us being alive and yet dead, he says we follow the course of this world. Following the course of this world, the picture there is a picture of being a slave or being chained to something. It's the picture that there's this course, there's this flow in the world that's pushing in a particular direction, and you and I can't help but go that way because that is we're slaves to it. It's what we do. It's just what we do. It's who we are. It's what people do. You're slave. You are a slave to your culture and to your surroundings. Isn't that true? Like, some of you guys are old enough to get to the point, like, remember when, like, you're younger, you're like, man, I don't want to be anything like my parents. And then you get old enough, you get to the point where you're like, man, I am more like my parents than I want to admit. And then you get to a point later on, you're like, man, I am just like my mom or just like my dad. And you're like, man. But you can't get away from it. Your genes, your family, our culture, it's pushing us to saying, this is what you do, and we are just slaves of this world. And it also says, we follow the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. Here's the truth, that none of us live life on our own. None of us are independent, not one of us. We were made to serve God, and if we aren't serving him, then we are serving somebody or something, and there's only one other option. And you may be aware of him or not. You may want to think about him or not. You may not want to acknowledge his existence, but he is real and he is pushing you about and flowing, taking you with the flow however he wants to lead you. We are 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. And then it says in verse 3 that we are ruled by the desires of our bodies and mind. No matter how strong or disciplined you are, you're being ruled by your desires. No matter how strong or disciplined you are, you're being ruled by your desires. And don't we see that in the lives of great men and women? Have you ever noticed this? Like great men and women who are super smart and disciplined and strong in certain areas, and yet they have this like Achilles heel that, that, that trips them up, right? And you're like, how could you be so stupid to do that? But we all have those places. We are pushed around and ruled by the course of this world, by the prince of the power of the air, by our own mind and by our own bodies. And this is our great problem. And here's the truth. If the resurrection of Jesus is true, here's the good news, is that there's a great answer to our great problem. Because look at verse 4. Look at these two words. It's the best words that you'll ever read. These are the best words you'll ever read in your entire life. These two words begin in verse 4. But God. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were slaves. You're being cared about by the, the whims of the devil, by the course of this world, by your own desires and flesh. But God. And this is the message of Easter. The message of Easter is yes, but. God. This is the good news for humanity. Yes, this is all true, but God. And this is the good news for you and for me this morning, but God. And it is the only truly good news that anybody can ever hear and anybody can ever find. You are carried around. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, but God. That's the story of Easter. You see, every Everybody and everything else is trying to sell you something. Everybody and everything else is trying to tell you, if you do this, you can get life. If you buy this, you can have true life. If you make it to this, you can have true life. If you perform to this level, you can have true life. If you marry this person, you can get true life. If you give us this, then you can get true life. And we're all trying to grab that ring and we can never get it. But here's the story. The good news is but God. But God. God breaks in. This is the story of Easter. God breaks in on our broken system. God breaks in to our brokenness, into our deadness, and he brings us a great answer to our great problem. But God. And look at the description of what caused God to do it. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. What caused God to break in on our deadness and our brokenness into our great problem and bring a great answer? It says, first of all, it says that he was rich in mercy. You know what mercy is? 
Mercy is looking at someone who is struggling, someone who is down and out. Whenever you don't have any reason, they have no claim upon you. And you look down upon them and you say, I will come and I will have mercy upon you and I will give you what you do not have. I will grant you what you cannot barter for. I will, I will give you what you cannot buy. And that's what God did for us in Christ. But God, being rich in mercy. Whatever you have done and wherever you have been, at this very moment, as I look in your eyes, no matter what you know your guilt is, no matter where you know you have been, no matter how you have been hurt, no matter how you have been trampled, no matter what you have done, no matter who you've left in your wake, let me tell you this, he, the, the, the Easter is the story that he, God, Jesus Christ, has great, great Rich mercy to you. That's the story of Easter. But God being rich in mercy, what? With the great love with which he loved us. Now, you and I as Americans, we throw around the word love a lot. We're across the street from a Taco Bell. And I cannot tell you how many times I've heard a college student say, I love Taco Bell. When we announced that we were trying to get this building, the thing that the college students got excited about was, we're three blocks from the ocean and there's a Taco Bell across the street. We throw the word love around easily and it means any number of things. But here in this passage, it means we had nothing going for us. We were left in darkness, we were trapped in death, we were victims of our own sin and our own transgressions, but God, with the great love with which he loved you. You were dead and yet you were loved. In your, in your low estate, in your lowliness, in your undeservedness, in your dirtiness and in your sin, in your shame, he loved you. Have you ever been ashamed of somebody? I remember this, and this is to my shame. I grew up in the country, and we had, uh, we lived on family land, and couple of tracks behind us lived Aunt Maud. And Aunt Maud looked exactly like you would expect Aunt Maud to look like. She was incredibly country. She was incredibly wrinkled. She dressed like in clothes from like 50 years ago. And, and one day at my work, there's a lot of people around and, and I, I, was, I was in there, I saw my Aunt Maud walk in and I pretended I didn't know who she was and walked away before she could see me because I didn't want anybody there to know that I was related to her. Now, imagine being God who is pure and holy and yet seeing you and me, not just in our just our humanness, but in our utter rebellion against him. Running towards sin at every single chance that we could get. Rebelling against him in every way. That 
so much so that his son would take on flesh and dwell with us. So much so that his son would sacrifice himself for us on the cross. So much so that he would be raised again. And right now, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, is sitting at the right hand of the Father, still 100% God, 100% man. With a great love with which he loved us because of, verse 5, the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. Because of his rich grace. You see, God offers us a gift. That's what grace is. Grace is when it is unmerited. You have no, you have no favor, no merit on your own, and yet grace comes to you and says, I will come and I will offer you salvation. Look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. Verse you have been saved. He would offer us salvation totally unearned and totally undeserved by us, all his work and none of us. Something unimaginably great and yet absolutely unwanted and undeserved by you and me. That's grace. But God because of his rich mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, and the riches of his grace, and his kindness towards us. His kindness. Can you imagine the kindness of God towards us when we were in rebellion against him, and yet in kindness he sent Christ. And that's the story of Easter. God's mercy and his love and his grace and his kindness shown to you and shown to me and shown to the world through Jesus. God saving us through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's why Jesus did it. For because his great love and kindness and mercy and grace towards us when we did not deserve it or wanted it, that's why he did it, and that's why he was the only one who could do it, and he's the only one who would do it, because he alone is God, and he alone has mercy and grace and kindness towards and love towards people like you and me who have no way to earn or deserve it. Here's the truth. In Christ, you are loved. And that's Easter. In Christ, you are loved, and that's Easter. If Jesus is truly resurrected, then you know what that means? That means that you are truly loved. And not only that, but it means that you can be, not only were you dead, and not only are you truly loved, but you can be made truly alive. This is the amazing truth about Easter. You see, if the grave is empty, then this passage is true, and that means that we were all dead, but we were deeply loved, and that means that what Jesus has put in motion is showing love for you and me and providing a way for us to be made truly alive. John three sixteen, the baseball verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that what? Those who believe in him might not perish, but have what? 
everlasting life, might have what? True life. See, what he did when he was taking our sin and our death is he was exchanging that for his life. When, when Christ died on Good Friday, he was taking our death that we deserved upon him. And whenever he rose again on Sunday morning, he was giving us his life. That's what this passage is saying. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When Jesus died, he was exchanging his death for your death. And whenever he rose, he was exchanging your life for his. If Jesus is risen, then he offers his death as your death and his life for your life. And it's his great power that has accomplishment. He's not asking for anything from you in return. It is already done. He has done the work. And that is the exclamation point of Easter. He rose again. The resurrection is true. It is real. And because of that, then you know that you were dead, but you are loved. This resurrection in your life. You know what that means? That means that the believer has been made alive with Jesus' resurrection. That means that the Christian, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, it means that you have been injected with or indwelt with the powerful life of Jesus. The same powerful life that would not let him stay in the grave, but caused him to, be, to rise again on the third day. That life and that power is present in you. The very immortal, think about this. The very immortal, immortal unconquerable life of God quickens and dwells within the believer. Jesus died, but he could not stay dead to show that whenever you die, you will not stay dead either. But there is eternal, everlasting, unconquerable, powerful, joyful, amazing, love-filled, grace-filled, mercy-filled life for you forever and ever and ever in the presence of God. Nothing if you're a believer, nothing can kill you. You are unconquerable. You are immortal, not by any work on your own, but only because he sent his son and his son rose again after paying our debt and he made us alive together with Christ. That's the story of Easter. But God... My question for you this morning, if you're not a believer, is do you trust him as your savior? Do you believe in his resurrection? If you do, then all of that is yours, and if not, it can be. Even at this very moment, it can be. And what happens when that happens for us, 
It says that your, Paul tells us in this passage that your future can be absolutely secured. And he raised us up with him. And notice this phrasing. Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The picture there is this picture that when a, when a king would, would conquer, when he was done, then he would seat himself on the throne, showing he had conquered his foes and his work was done. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, showing that he has conquered sin and death. And then it says that we are seated there with him. That means your future is 100% secure and assured. There's no death. And then it says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's a picture that your future is not only secure, like you're not gonna die, you will live, but it says that forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, <laughs> your job will be to be a recipient of the immeasurable riches of his kindness towards us. Jesus Christ. You know what that's like? That's like there's an ocean that's three blocks away from us. It's a picture of you being standing in the ocean and wave after wave after wave of God's kindness towards us will wash over you and wash over me throughout all eternity. But God, This is the true life that we all long for. And it's made possible because the resurrection of Jesus is really true. But God, those words shook the universe. But God, those words caused angels to wonder. But God, those words changed human history and what they represent are the only thing that can change yours. Jesus' resurrection promises to wipe your history clean and give you a present hope and a future and a new and solid, powerful presence in your life of the almighty creator. God. If Jesus is risen, and he is, if Jesus is risen, then that means that this free gift is the only path to true life. Man, we've got to respond to that, don't we? Don't we have to respond to that kind of gift to you? 
If you're a believer, we're getting ready to sing and we're gonna respond to that immeasurable, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And if you're here and you're not a believer, maybe you thought you were, maybe you've been around church and you're like, man, I don't have that that you're talking about. This morning, right now, is the time for you to respond and bow your knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, accept his sacrifice on your behalf and celebrate in the newness of life that he offers you without price and without fee. Respond to him today. Let's pray. Father, you have lavished upon us unasked and unearned the immeasurable riches of your kindness You've shown us great, rich mercy and great, great love and amazing grace. If the resurrection of Jesus is true, then all of that is true, and it is true. Father, I pray that you would help us all to respond accordingly this morning. Help us as believers respond, not just in singing, but with our lives. And for any person here who does not know you, let them respond this morning and taste that life for the first time. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.